It is Monday, January 23, the Big Sports Breakfast on Sky Sports Radio. Very good morning to you wherever and however you are listening. Massive game tonight at Melbourne Park. Alex Dimonor up against Novak Djokovic in the fourth round at the Australian Open. And Djokovic, a pronounced favourite, as you'd expect with Tab. He's $1.20. Dimonor is $4.60. We're just in the studio uh, watching the start of this AFC divisional playoff matchup between Buffalo and Cincinnati. And Cincinnati have scored a touchdown off their first drive, so they lead 7 nothing. What about the weather here, Loz? How would you describe it? Uh, snow, snow and snow. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it, to play a game of football in those type of conditions? I mean, it very rarely happens here in Australia. I was lucky enough to play, or unlucky, depending on um, how we saw it on the day. But it, Are they on it synthetic, was, Loz? It looks is... like it's synthetic. Yeah, okay. Otherwise, it'd be chopping up a little bit, yeah, a bit okay. more, I would have thought. But... Um, but yeah, no, it's it's very cold. It is very cold. Um, Cincinnati have started well. Joe Burrow uh, took the team down the field. They scored a touchdown. Josh Allen now gets another opportunity to show us what he's got. Uh, but these are two of the superstars, young superstars oh, of the NFL. Absolute guns. So uh, yeah, this is going to be. Uh, I think this is going to be tight. It could be a whoever has the ball last could be winning this mm. match. Um, now, Clarky, and we've had a lot of texts uh, this morning, by the way, just obviously on uh, Clarky's personal situation, and it is, uh, it's a private matter. A lot of texts, you know, supporting Clarky, a lot sticking the boot in, but uh, it's obviously a lot of fascination in, into uh, the story that broke about Clarky last week, but it is a private matter that unfortunately became public, but is a private matter, and uh, we're respecting it to stay that way because there's a lot of very sensitive factors at play. And uh, so uh, we're keeping that private matter private. Clarky released a statement last week and uh, is standing by that statement that was released after uh, that story became public last week. So we've got uh, Buzz coming up shortly. Phil Rothfield from the Daily Telegraph. Also this morning, Roger Rashid after 7.30 to preview uh, the Demon or Djokovic showdown tonight at Melbourne Park. Ali Mosley to review what we saw at the races on Saturday. Phil Moss, what about the story in the A-League as well in regards to MacArthur? And Dwight York on the back page of the Herald today. Pub team spray led to York Bulls split. So that was a big story out of the weekend. We'll speak to here last about. night he's going to Sydney FC. Well, this is the rumour. So at the moment, Steve Corrick is still the coach mm, of Sydney FC. But I've he's heard under there's an opportunity pressure. overseas. Out, okay. of Australia. out of Australia. A bigger opportunity out of Australia. All righty. Is what I've heard. Why would they get rid of Stevie Corrica? I know oh, that... they're going no good. I know they're going no good. But look, he's had a lot of success there. And he's capable of turning Sydney FC around. And I think if you were going for another manager, you'd want an experienced manager, wouldn't you? You wouldn't just have Dwight York because of his name. Well, I think Dwight, there's no doubt where he wants to end up, where he wants yeah, to go. Premier League. He wants to be yeah. in the Premier League. So it sounds to me he's got another stepping stone in front of him that he's going to take. And that's going to get him one step closer to... To chasing his goal. Yep. That's what I've heard. Maybe a little Clarky scoop there. Maybe. The we'll, we'll find okay. out in time, I'm sure. Morning, Buzz. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year. How are you guys? Did you have a good break? Had a good break, mate. Yeah, we. Um, I didn't do much, to be perfectly mm. honest. I spent a bit of time uh, with the family. I actually went down to Juni for my mother's 80th birthday. Whoa. Oh, yeah, good that, Bob. Yeah, it, it was Throw fantastic to see all of the family. Uh, we did have a party. Mm. Um, but the family were there. We had a good couple of days. 
Um, I love when my wife travels with me down to Juni because I get an opportunity to, to show her around town and introduce, it, introduce her to a few of my mates who I grew up with. And she's very happy to leave, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> she drives home. <laughs> You're hung over in the passenger seat. <laughs> Keith, I've been working, guys, while you guys have been out playing. Oh, jeez. You never stop, Buzz. You Buzz, how are the Tigers stop. looking? How are the Tigers looking? Oh, Clarky, I've got a lot of questions to ask you. I'll probably have no answers for you, but go for your life. <laughs> oh, well, uh, how was Noosa? <laughs> No, I better not. I was going to put my journo's cap on and um, make a few inquiries, but uh, yeah, you okay? I'm good. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, that's good. That's good. So, uh, yeah, no, uh, I've been back a couple of weeks. Lukey Marlowe, Ryan Phelan, Phil Moss, Matty Burke. Geez, they're good operators. If I was you guys, I wouldn't be taking holidays too often. <laughs> I'd love to get their ratings. <laughs> I thought a non-rating I'm sure period, will, Buzz. I'm sure you will get them. <laughs> oh, Clarky, I'd love to hear that Phil Moss and Matty Burke outrated you. I oh, really man. would. Would not surprise <laughs> me one bit, buddy. Yeah, no. Back uh, to the Tigers, mate. Any joy, any news? How's Tim Sheen's going? Oh, I think they're going okay. Look, it's a bit of a problem that uh, Bateman's been held up in England with a visa problem. Mm. And look, look, I, I find that, you know, he signed some time ago and it's quite surprising that he's not out here yet. Um, I would have thought they would be able to get some sort of temporary visa because, you know, look, look he's got an NRL contract. It's obviously going to be working here for quite some time. Look, the, the Tigers have built up well, particularly in the forwards, but I still worry about their back line. I really do. And mm. um, But look, there's enormous fascination around that football side, and that's what I'm really looking forward to in the NRL. Teams like the West Tigers this year, can Timmy Sheens, can Benji Marshall, can Robbie Farrad take them places? They haven't been for so long. There's the fascination around the Canterbury Bulldogs and the great rebuild they've had and the signing of Stephen Crichton to go along with Reed Barney and Billy Kickow and um, Matt Burton re-signed while you guys were away, extended for another three years. And then you've got teams like Manly and St George, these great Sydney clubs who have struggled in recent years. And you know what? The NRL kickoff first weekend of March, I'm really, really hanging out for because, as I said, these four clubs I just mentioned have been really, really disappointing. But they've all got, you know, on their day, and if, if they can get a bounce of the ball and if they can stay injury-free, they're all very, very capable of being up there around finals contention. So it's going to be a great comp. What about the Dolphins, buddy? How are they going recruitment-wise? Clarky, the, the Dolphins are an extraordinary story that I wanted to talk about. Is the, the, the 17th team, they're six weeks off their first game, but they still have a $2 million checkbook. So they've only spent, they, 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 they've only signed 27 players at this stage. So everyone else is right on their cap and have just about decided their 30 man squads. But Look, Wayne Bennett, for his, all his seven premierships, I think has lost a little bit of his attraction as a head coach and a magnet for new players. You look, Cameron Munster knocked him back, Callum Ponga, Brandon Smith, keep going, Dylan Brown, Harry Grant, Reid Marnie. So they weren't able to sign 
a marquee player. The problem they've got is every NRL club has to spend 95% of their cap. So at this stage, they've only spent, what, about 75% of it? And there are really no superstar players that are prepared to go there this year unless someone in the next five weeks has a major falling out of the club and, you know, wants to go and join Wayne or is prepared to talk to their recruitment guru, uh, Peter O'Sullivan. So it's a really interesting story. Now, what happens with this $2 million, if they can't sign any big names before the start of the season, what they will do to get to 95% of the cap, as they have to, they will start prepaying current players for next year. So they'll go to the Bromwich brothers or Felice Kafusi and they'll say, look, we'll pay you all an extra 400k this year, which will come off their contracts next year. So that will put them in a really good position where for 2024, they're going to be, what, 1.5 million more than the cap to spend to try to find these superstar players. So it's a real to be this close to the season with a two million dollar checkbook is basically unheard of. Well, if we if we look forward then, Buzz, I mean, you look at a guy like Mitch Moses, you look at a guy like Joseph Sawali. I mean, these guys, I'm led to believe, haven't re-signed with their clubs, uh, yeah. Parramatta and and obviously uh, the Roosters respectively. Could you see that Dolphins possibly landing one or two of them? No, well, look, I've already ruled out the list uh, lives of players who have knocked them back. And, look, I think Suwalihi, for starters, will stay at the Roosters. Um, he, he has an option there he, he just needs to take up. And the reason being, you want to play for Wayne Bennett. He's He wants to play State of Origin this year. He wants to, you know, he wants to play at a powerful club and play finals football and win a premiership. The same with Mitch Moses. Mm. Now, the West Tigers even, despite all their struggles, and the Canterbury Bulldogs, who have built up so impressively, are far more attractive options for someone like Mitch Moses, 27-year-old gun playmaker at this stage of his career. Now, it's a little bit of a problem for the NRL that the Dolphins' recruitment hasn't been probably what they expected. And, look, I think they'll be a bottom four club year one. I think they'll start okay. They've got some... They've sort of got the tradesman players at the moment, uh, the tradesmen like, you know, the, the hard-nosed forwards. And, you know, they're going okay for a new club, but I, I think they're going to struggle. And I think, as Wayne Bennett said many times, it's going to be a two- or three-year uh, scenario before they, you know, become a club that's uh, really going to match up with the big guns. Do you think he stays at Parramatta, Mitch Moses, Buzz? Oh, Loz, it's, it's, it's a really... Look, I think he wants to stay at Parramatta. He is, look, people know he was a Parramatta junior. He played um, Harold Matz and SG Ball there before he went to the West Tigers. Um, the, the, the West Tigers offer is ridiculous, up towards $1.3 million. I mentioned this while you guys were away. The Canterbury offers about $1,150,000. One um, the Parramatta offers about a million which I think they might have to bump up slightly. Um, 
look, but it's not going anywhere at this stage. And if he did want to stay, I, I don't know why he hasn't stayed and why he's letting it drag on. Although he's the same as Joseph Suwalihi. He's under contract for this year, but he has an option that he doesn't have to take up till about May. So, look, that one's still up in the air. Look, if you were framing a market, he'd be slight favourite to stay with the Eels. And look, look, I hope he does because, look, I think he's got unfinished business there. He steered him into the grand final last year. I think Brad Arthur is a terrific coach and I, I know they've lost a couple of handy players, particularly um, the pa, um, Papalihi to um, to the West Tigers. Um, yeah, I, I'd like to see him stay there and try and win a comp. And um, a lot of players like him um, don't necessarily you know, t- always take the money and, and are prepared to stay at the club they love. And, you know, uh, it's like you, Loz. You know, you're a one-club player and there are plenty of them and um, I hope he's one of them. Now, the CBA and the, the dispute between the NRL and the Rugby League Players Association drags on. Can't believe it's still dragging on, Buzz, but uh, yeah, yeah. are we getting closer to an agreement here? Yeah, dog wrote, Paul Dog wrote that good story this morning about the offer from the US players to come out here, 160 players. Look, for starters, I don't think there's going to be a strike. I don't think the players would be prepared to, you know, forgo so much money. The thing I want to make clear is this RLPA dispute with the NRL, as far as I'm concerned, has got nothing to do with their wages. It's got nothing to do with money. The salary cap two days before Christmas was done. There was nice increases for the players, men and women. So it's not really about money at all. But it is, it's dragged on for 12 months. And you guys might believe, what do you reckon the average career span is for an NRL player, Loz? Oh, I'm guessing here, what, 30, 40 games? 40, 40, or 40 years, sorry. So what's that, two years? No, well, the average career span for an NRL player is four years, okay? Four years, is it? Right. There you go. Now, 50% of those four-year players earn between $85,000 and $130,000. They're bottom-rung players. So what the RLPA are fighting for now is trying to um, get better conditions for those players who have spent times in academies doing apprenticeships and... Um, and being full-time professionals now, they probably don't have that opportunity to do trades while they're while they're trying to become NRL players. They want better post-career medical opportunities and hardship funding for these sort of players I'm talking about. The, the great Dean Bulldog Ritchie wrote a couple of incredibly emotional stories towards the end of last year, one on Sandy Campbell, the who was homeless, the former Canterbury Bulldogs player on the Gold Coast. Paul Taylor, remember a story he did on Paul Taylor, yep. Parramatta Eels fullback, basically living on the streets on the Gold Coast. And the game, you know, we can't have any more of these stories. And these are the sort of conditions the players are trying to fix. And the thing is, Loz, not everyone's Laurie Daly and gets a job at uh, on the big sports breakfast or Cooper Cronk on Fox Sports or Michael Ennis on Fox Sports or Freddie on Channel 9, First and 9, Billy Slater 9. It's only those top-rung people. Not everyone like Ben Hornby and Dean Young get jobs in coaching when they finish rugby league. So there's these huge amount of players who only get those four-year windows to do something in rugby league and that's what they're fighting for. Mm. Now, there won't be a strike 
but I can tell you, it. I don't think there'll be a women's all-stars game. I think that's going to be abandoned. I'll tell you why. The female players in the NRL, none of them, because of the delays in the CBA, and we've got this new 10-team competition starting, not one female player has an NRLW contract yet. So if they go and start training this game, and if they suffer a serious injury, eight, ten weeks, maybe do a knee in the season, they don't get paid this year. So Tamika Upton, for example, the Queensland superstar, played for the Knights, champion fullback. She's the first of many girls who have announced they won't play in this all-star game. Yeah, that'll be disappointing if they don't put that on. It's really disappointing, but yeah. it's not because of the pay guys. Yeah, It's because they can't risk yeah. their 100K they're going to earn this year in the NRLW once they get their CBA done. I actually understand. Mm. Well, I think most people understand when you put it like that because they, you, why would you put that at risk? A, yeah, and look, I, I, I don't think there's any greed here whatsoever. The players are happy with the salary cap. But a lot of the male players are up in arms about the female conditions at the moment and the fact they can't sign with the new clubs yet. Look, the salary cap for the women's gone up from about 400k to 800. They've had a 50% more pay rise. That's fine, but there's going to be 30, because the competition's so much bigger, there's going to be 30 player squads. So, look, it's not as the, the pool, while it's increased, the girls aren't going to individually get a lot more money, but there's a lot more to it than greed, I can assure you. Now, the season opener, what, five and a half weeks away between Melbourne and Parramatta there at Parramatta. And uh, as far as the Storm's concerned, well, Ryan Pappenhausen, so he's back but unex- not expected to play p- potentially the early rounds of the season, uh, no. Buzz. And Nelson Asofa solomona what's uh, happening with him and his future there at the club in Melbourne? Yeah, again, while you guys are away, and I'm, I'm sure you would have read the stories that Nelson Asofa Solomona was on a hit list that Eddie Jones, the new Wallaby coach, was drawing up, wanting to play for the Wallabies. And look, he's a really, really important signing for the Melbourne Storm because they've lost the Bromwich brothers and Felice Cafusi to the Redcliffe Dolphins. I know Storm are very, very confident that he will sign a new deal to stay in Melbourne long-term before the start of the season. And um, I think, as I mentioned, the players they've lost, it's a really important one. If I don't think he'd play for another NRL club. So if he was to jump ship and go and play rugby union, the people I was speaking to last night are suggesting he would not play for the Wallabies. Not a chance and that he is a very, very proud Kiwi. He played for New Zealand in the World Cup, and if he was to have a crack at Rugby Union, it would be with the All Blacks, um, which would be something really interesting. The All Blacks have got a lot of money, just like the Wallabies have, you know, for elite NRL players. Um, but as I said, look, I, I think he'll stay at Melbourne Storm. They're very, very hopeful. Talks are going well, and it'd be a really important signing for them. They've also got Christian Welsh back to play in the middles this year, which should, which is going to be a, a major boost for them. Now, Ryan Pappenhausen arrived home from Melbourne. It's interesting. He's seen Bill Knowles in um, in the US, and he bumped into Tom Tommy Turbo on the way out and um, arrived home in Melbourne on Friday. He's rejoining his Storm teammates in their pre-season camp in Geelong this morning. 
I've been told there's no hope whatsoever that he'll play that round one blockbuster against the Parramatta Eels. He's probably eight weeks away still. He had that really bad smash kneecap. And they're hoping about round three, a more realistic goal. And we all want to see the great Ryan Pappenhausen back on the footy part. We all want to see Tommy Turbo back. They are electrifying. Look, they're both champion fullbacks. And... Um, uh, I, I, I really hope that uh, they're both back about the same time because the NRL comp needs superstars like those two out the back at fullback with Tommy Turbo, Joey Manu, Joseph Sualihi and all the other great players in the NRL. Big years, Buzz. Strap in. Going to be, bl- gonna be did, large. You did well, Clarkie, to dodge me. <laughs> he did. He did. He, he's gone. All right. <laughs> Well, listen, boys, we'll talk soon, eh? Premier League overnight. Arsenal beat Manchester United a late goal. 3-2 there at the Emirates this morning. So that means that Arsenal are five points ahead of Manchester City and the Gunners have a game in hand of City as well. City did beat Wolves 3-0 overnight and Erling Haaland scored a hat-trick for City. Leeds and Brentford finished scoreless. Uh, in the A-League men's yesterday, we saw Wellington beat the Central Coast Mariners 2-1. Newcastle and the Wanderers finished 1-1. And in the A-League women's, Wellington beat Canberra United 5-0. And we've got Mossy coming on uh, after uh, 8 o'clock this morning. And uh, we'll certainly be asking him about the situation at MacArthur with Dwight York out. By mutual consent, after just seven months in charge there at MacArthur, he reportedly described his bullside as a, quote, pub team. And this was in the dressing sheds after their 1-0 loss to Adelaide on Friday night. The City Morning Herald saying that the spray also occurred in the presence of the chairman and the CEO. And so they've all got together and gone, well, I think this is probably best that we just all go in separate directions. Uh, Now, of course, the club won the 2022 Australia Cup, or the old FFA Cup, uh, didn't they, late last year uh, before the season started and a sixth on the ladder. So it's not as though they're languishing by any stretch, but uh, Sydney FC lost 1-0 to Western United in Hobart on Saturday and the Sky Blues are 10th on the ladder, albeit only three points off the top six, but there's certainly plenty of rumours that York could take over from Steve Corica there at Sydney FC, but Pup this morning said he might have heard. Tell us what you heard, Pup. Well, I think there's a, there's a rumour that, well, I think it's, I think Dwight's made it pretty clear that his goal is to get over to to England at some stage and coach in the, the EPL. That that would be his dream. Um, and it seems like he's going to take whatever steps he needs to, to to try and get close to that. So there's there's a bit of talk around. There's another opportunity that's come up out of Australia um, that might be the next step for him. So, um, yeah, I, again, at the moment, I think it's the rumour mill. So we'll, we'll obviously see what Can uh, you what tell me a team? in sport that wouldn't have had a spray similar to the one that Dwight York would have given his team? Yeah. Like you're playing, playing like a bunch of A-graders or no. you're playing like a bunch, like a pub team. You're, oh, We've I think nearly more, every coach I've had has said something like that. We've seen it more and more though, Loz, aren't we? Especially in Australia, that you either got to be the player's mate or mates or you're not going to last as a coach. The, the old school, you know, toughen up. Mm. Um, you know, I, I think the greatest example of that's Justin Langer. Yeah. You know that that hard nosed head coach. But you would have heard it at some stage mate, by a coach. You're mate, you used like, to get it from your teammate. Don't about a coach. Yeah, yeah, your club, teammate yeah. would grab you and, and let you know. Yeah. So yeah, but it just seems in in all of our sports now, you've the coach has to be. It's like the coach is the manager. Like you've got to be there to 
to look after them, pat them on the back, pick them up when they're down, yeah. make sure they've got everything they require. You, you can't have that tough conversation. It's got to be done in a gentle way, right. in a loving right. way. Otherwise, the coach is going to be on the outer. Mm. But Dwight won't mix his words. That's the other thing about Dwight. He's, he's straight up. He was like that as a player. Uh, he copped his criticism along the, along the way. He was an unbelievable pl- player. But he's, he's a straight shooter. So um, I don't think this will bother him. If, if they don't want him to be himself and coach the way he wants to coach. And again, he's had success doing it his way. If they don't want that, then he'll go somewhere else. So Mossy coming up just after 8 o'clock this morning. At the moment, Cincinnati 14-0 in Buffalo. In their AFC Divisional Playoff, the winner, a date with Kansas City next week. And uh, I was told as well, fellas, that Rog, after that epic Murray-Kokonakis game, game. finished at, what, 4 a.m., what, a few mornings ago. Mm. Rog, now asleep, straight on the show. Last week, so Straight that's it. commitment. There you go. Was there any soldier. sleep though, Rod? Was there any <laughs> Morning, sleep mate. in between? How are you? <laughs> I'm good, thanks, boys. Welcome back. That, yeah, there was there was a fraction. There was a little tiny shut eye for about thirty minutes. But, but you know what? It's funny. You, I was yeah, exactly. I was, I was courtside for that match, and because you're courtside, it's a little bit different than being um, in the commentary booth because you're. You're doing it all from the court, so you've got that you feel like you're riding the actual points that you're in it, sort of virtually. And uh, so to, to have that, you know, the players, as you, you guys know, coming down off the, after a big game is hard work to actually get the sleep. But it, it was almost like I played the match because it was so, uh, you know, the intensity of it. Where is Djokovic at, Rog? Like we were spoken about it earlier this morning, and I know he's. What do you guys? What do you guys? What well, you guys he's obviously said he's got a. You know, he's got something going on with that hamstring or a niggle in, in his leg. Oh. I think Mido thinks it might be a bit of playing it up as a plan B. But even with this, he still seems a class above, in my opinion. Yeah, well, first of all, he's, a, he's, definitely, he's definitely a class above. So there's the first part. The second part is, it's interesting. I, I don't think he's making it up uh, because I don't think... He doesn't need to because of the, the first part. Um, so... He doesn't turn up and go, okay, what can I put as a security blanket? Um, what it is, do it. What it is, what is strange though is how it, how it supposedly is coming and going as he suggests. So you know there'll be certain times throughout the course of the set, um, you know, where there'll be a point, he'll lose it, he'll grab at it, or he'll pull up, and then always and hurts then, more when you lose a point. Yeah, yep. I, I just and can't then, imagine <laughs> the hamstring they watch. Yeah. I know, I know. I'm, I'm with you. Don't worry. And then against. Uh, Grigor Dimitrov two nights ago. Then, then when he got to the tiebreaker, he was blinkers on, running around like a rabbit, as if like mm. he did, did, didn't even own a hammy. Like there was, there was, you know, he was just he could do do whatever he liked. So I'm, I'm a little bit. I, I thought two nights ago was really uh, was a poor display. I thought because it, there was so much sort of the the uh, when I say acting, I think there was, you know, there was it sort of it took away from the. The contest, and if you're the player at the other end, you're going. Hang on, uh, you're limping, then you're falling over on the court. Yeah. Uh, you've collapsed. You're now you've, you're pulling up all the time, and hang on, and then you're sprinting away, like <laughs> you know. You no, know, I can't stand it. Seriously, <laughs> in all honesty, Rog, do you think? Because yep. I've thought this for years. Novak Djokovic, do you think he uses injury timeouts as a tactical ploy, which is uh, against well, the look, spirit of the game? Well, there's, there, I mean, there are a few, there are a few players you'd, you'd suggest that would do. You know, they, as soon as they, a lot of a lot of happen, a lot of things that are happening at the moment. As soon as you lose the first set, 
the per- that person virtually goes to the change to the toilets, which is actually. I was walking around. Yeah, the you need before. a wee after the first set, Rog, Always. Yeah, yeah, yeah I thought so. But <laughs> the, the, and I was watching the junior matches yesterday. I was walking around watching some of our Australians and and some others. And after every first set, I was I was taking notice. The person who lost just took off. It was like the circuit break, and I'm thinking this is this is a bit ridiculous. But yeah, look, the Novak piece is interesting. A few years ago, he actually, you know, I can't, I don't know if you remember, he actually had a slight um, stomach strain, so he he put that out there. He had it, he had it. Um, had bandages all over that. Now I'm not sure, if, you know, if you guys have had one, but if you've got a if you've got a slight tear in your stomach or a stomach strain, yes. it gets worse. It doesn't get better through competition, and um, <laughs> he se- he seemed to fly through that. And um, yeah, so it's a look. I, I would have been old, a bit old school. Um, probably would have, you know, pinned him up in the locker room. I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, like, like what's going on? You know, yeah. I don't know. There's a bit of talk around. There's no doubt about that. About uh, what it's like. So when you've got someone like Alex Dimonor tonight, um, as Grigor tried to do, and he, you, the first set's so pivotal because that might show whether there's um, there is anything there realistically, um, and and then you've got to have the ability, obviously, to go with Novak when he um, you know, he's still he's still when he goes, he's still he's still clearly the best player there. How can he beat him, Rog? Or can he beat him? I, I, I know you, you know he can beat him if he played him 10 times he might beat him once or twice but tonight how does he go about beating Djokovic well I think when you've got a wounded worry it's, it's about can you move the ball around the court enough I would personally I would just test him out with a whole lot of drop shots because you know uh, and just give him something different where he's got to explode forward because that will actually test a hamstring out if you have to have, if you all yeah. of a sudden have to start exploding forward. Sometimes going side to side is not the same as the explosion explosion forward. So I would throw in a lot of those early to see where he's at. Let's see if he's going to sprint to those or he's going to temper that on the way forward. So as much movement as possible, but I like the forward movement uh, that might test him as well. So and you've got to execute your game. You know, it's very easy for us to say sit there, do this, do that, but. Um, when you're out there playing Novak, his depth of ball, um, his ball speed, you know, he plays the big points extremely well. That he serves, he serves great. So it's a, it's a, he's a weapon regardless of whether he's slightly wounded. And, and at times when he's wounded, he actually hits out even bigger, and um, and he's the best at it. So let's hope Alex can get um, involved early, and he's in the match, and uh, then he's actually if he can get ahead of the count, that's the big ticket for me. Is that you've got to get. You've just got to grab the first set against someone like Novak, and he's and if he if he's got stress points, well then they'll you know we'll see them. Djokovic a dollar twenty with Tab Dimitrov four dollars sixty. So Djokovic to win three sets to loves the two twenty so, favorite. So obviously, you know the 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 bookies aren't thinking Novak's injured. Yeah. No, exactly. So in how many sets? Uh, look, I, I think if no, you know if he grabs the first, he wins in three. Novak. So um, I think he'll. I think he's got a little bit too much, to be honest. Um, I'm hoping Alex can, can grab a set and grab, grab the first one and then anything can happen. Now, just before you go, I see that Tennis Australia have renewed their partnership with Dunlop to provide the tennis balls for the Australian Open. Now, the players really don't like them, it seems, by all, all reports. Uh, I think the guys that are winning like them. And the guys <laughs> the people that are losing the, the, balls, the ball sucks. Um, so, I, I don't... I don't mind the ball. I think it's, it goes, you know, it's, it's fast early. It's hard and fast early, that ball. And then it sort of, and then as it uh, fluffs up a little bit, it's, it, it changes. 
but so too does every ball that you play with. So there's always something about a ball that and there's always a little bit of talk about it. I think the conditions vary as well with the ball. So as I said, there are some people that will really enjoy that type of ball, and then there's other other players that won't. And um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, I think it's a bit of a storm in a, in a teacup, to be honest. And you know, you look at the look at the fields. Yeah, we've had some big upsets. Uh, the num- number one and two seeds on both sides, the men's and women's have gone. Um, but great opportunities, and, and you know, I think if you ask the players, those players who still draw, they won't have too much of a problem with it. Rog, thank you so much, mate. Chat tomorrow. Cheers, boys. Ali Mosley, good morning to you. How are you? Good morning. I'm good, Mido and team. I feel like I'm saying welcome back to you guys. I've been back for a couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to have a great year, and uh, you've already tipped <laughs> the punters into a nice one there with Smoke Show, winning at, what, uh, around the $6.50 mark in the third yeah. there, was it on Saturday? Yeah, that was a good one. I, um, I'm so so pleased with Annie Saab and, and how well she's going. She's such a good trainer and she really comes to the fore in the highway. I think as soon as she's got a horse in the highway, it's not just not there to make up the numbers. And similarly with all her other runners at the moment, she's doing such a fantastic job. Well, with the Golden Slipper just around the corner, Ali, um, the Snowdens look like they've got another promising two-year-old on their hands. I mean, Don Corleone won on the weekend. What did you make of the win? I thought it was a super win, and I think when you say the name, you've got to say Dan, Dan Corleone. Dan Corleone. <laughs> <laughs> one of, I was working on Saturday, one of my um, producers told me I've got to say it, the Sicilian way, so oh, that's right how yeah. I'm always going to remember him now. Um, but he was super winning on debut, running the best last 600 and last 200 of the entire day. So it's a, it's a huge effort from a two-year-old on debut. I think he's got a really exciting... Um, future, but I would mention out of that race too, Kundalini, the really expensive filly, yeah. she's a beautiful type um, she was very good on the clock as was Scorpion Jack, who's um, performed uh, his second best last placing, so he was slow out and checked last before making ground right on the outside and he ran the second best last 600 of the day, so I think it could even be probably a pretty handy two-year-old form race to line up as we start to head towards the big one and Brock Ryan grabbed a double there at uh, Randwick on Saturday. Irish legend and Cuban Royale. Uh, gee, Cuban Royale's flying this prep, isn't it? What do you make of those two victories? Uh, great front-running ride from, from Brock. He's sort of the up-and-coming almost Timmy Clark, I reckon. He could be the next gen of the, of the great up-and-forward um, riders. So uh, great to see Brock riding winners in town too and, and getting those opportunities. And for Rob and Luke Price, they... Always have their horses there presented in such nice order and Cuban Royale was turned out really beautifully in the yard too and I uh, just think that they're such a great team and they're always consistently racing winners in the city week in, week out. So um, I'm stoked for the, for the guys. They're just easy to, to deal with and just a great team. Banana Queen, she made it three wins in a row. What's her ceiling, do you think? Think she could be a uh, black type horse? Yeah, possibly. I, I I sort of was more impressed with Lexard in that in that run, and she was one that that we had as well. I, I sort of I want to forgive her. Um, I think just failing to pay a dividend was a bit disappointing, but her effort was super. She really got well out of her ground early after copping an early check, but then she wound up strongly over the concluding stages. I, I wondered why maybe she'd been dragged so far back, but just rewatching it, she did get checked, and then she ran the race best last 600 and the third best last 200 of the entire day. So I think we'll forgive Lekvart, and probably if I was to look at one who has more upside, I would say she would out of that race. What are we following and potentially even sacking out of the uh, meeting there at Randwick on Saturday from a punting point of view? 
so we'll definitely follow Lex Vart and Don Corleone, a couple of those two-year-olds. I get I get really excited about the two-year-olds at this time of year. Um, and then, interestingly, I'd like to follow Bold Mac as well, who covered more ground than any other runner on the day, but still managed to pick himself up and record the Ford fourth best last 200 of his race. I think he can improve if he can get a softer run next time. So hopefully he's one that could could go through. And then on Friday night, I almost got the Quinella. And I was so excited because I thought we'd had it with Dan Andretti and Esson, um, two of Jerry's runners. Esson was just a little bit nippier on the day. But Dan Andretti, I just feel like she'll be better third run back. I know that you know we had such high hopes of her, but I think um, she'll just keep improving and she still looks like she's got a bit of um, condition to get off and, and she'll just keep ticking through. So don't give up on Dan Andretti yet either from Friday night. Ali, thank you so much. We'll catch you Friday. Thanks, team.